Well, good morning. Uh, we are in the book of Numbers. Chapter 20. And uh, I'm going to try to get all the way through chapter 20 this morning. We'll see how that goes. You know how it is. <laughs> Let's start with a word of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we, we're so grateful and thankful, Father, for uh, first and foremost the salvation, Lord, that you won for us with your own right hand, your son, Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, for the great gift uh, that he offered up for us by his own free will, Father, laying his life down as a ransom for all who would call upon his name. And we are here today, Father, uh, who have called upon his name, Lord, and we're so grateful for the salvation that was once delivered to the saints, Father, and the great word that you've given us to study that we might know you more, Father, that we might know your heart and your will for our lives, Lord. So we pray, Father, as we read this together this morning, that you would strengthen us and you would encourage us, that you would be conforming us into the image of your beautiful Son, Jesus Christ, Lord, and that in everything that we do, we would be seeking and we would be finding your will, Father, uh, and doing what you've called each one of us to do individually, Lord. Every single person here and who's listening online today, Lord, needs to hear something specifically from you, Lord, that only you can tell them. And we pray that you would do that today, Father, by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things and pray these things. Amen. 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 <clears throat> so Numbers chapter 20, uh, the children of Israel, of course, have been wandering in the wilderness, and now they're zeroing in on the promised land. God is bringing them to the place and to the point where they're about to go and begin to enter into the land that was promised uh, to them many, many, many hundreds of years before uh, to Abraham, their forefather. Uh, and I want you to, if you have your Bibles there, you can turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 and verses 13 through 16 says this. <clears throat> then he said to Abram, now this is, of course, this is before God had changed Abraham's name to Abraham. Remember when he first called him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, his name was Abram and his wife's name was Sarai. Uh, and it was later that God put that Hess sound, which is the sound of, uh, of the name of God, into their names, that Abraham and that Sarah. Uh, that's not just nothing. And you wonder, well, he changed their name. Big deal. No, 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 no. God was inserting his name into their lives. Okay? It's a beautiful thing. And that was as the promise was being fulfilled to them that he had promised them. And in Genesis chapter 15, God says this to Abram, No, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. This is talking about Egypt, which at that point in time, of course, had not even been close to coming to pass. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge, that would be through the plagues, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Remember, each one asked of their neighbor for possession and for, for gold and silver and clothing, and it says that there, there, there was a great favor that was given towards the children of Israel by the, uh, by the Lord uh, of the Egyptians, and the Egyptians gave them so many of their things that it says that they literally plundered the Egyptians. The slaves... The one who had been in bondage for hundreds of years. The one whose bondage was so horrible that they literally were crying out to God on a daily basis, help us, help us. When God shows up, 
And God decides it's time for the deliverance. Not only do they leave, but they plundered the Egyptians on the way out. Not by their own hand, not by their own power, not by some army or militia that they had raised up, but by the hand of God, okay? And so God prophesied this beforehand to Abraham, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Now he goes back to speaking to Abraham. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. That means be dead, be, be, or he will die. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here. Notice, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And so God, at that point in time, when he was calling Abram and he was dealing with Abram and speaking to Abram and giving him all these promises, he was also closely watching the land of Canaan. Now, in the land of Canaan, the immorality and the idolatry and the wickedness of those lands and the practices that they practiced in worshiping their false gods is so dark and so perverse that we don't talk about it amongst mixed company. Uh, it was so dark and so wicked. And God is telling Abram here, I'm not sending you there yet. I'm going to send you at the right time because the sins of the Amorites has not yet reached its fulfillment. What God was saying was that when I send you into that land, it's not just giving you a promised land. It's not just you entering into, the day, into your rest. It's not just you entering into the land that I've promised to give you, but it's also a time for judgment for the wicked who hate me. It's going to be a time of judgment. And so when people ask the question, why did God have the children of Israel? What kind of a God would have the children of Israel go into the land of Canaan and wipe these entire nations out? How, how, what kind of a God? It was judgment day in the land of Canaan. When God finally brings the Israelites into the land of Canaan, it was exactly the time of God's judgment. Now, there's going to be another day of great deliverance, of you and I entering into our rest. And at that same time, there is also going to be taking place the judgment of God. In our case, the promise that we have through Jesus Christ and by God's word is that we are going to be taken out of this world in what is called the rapture, and we are going to be taken to be with the Lord. That's what Jesus was talking about at the Last Supper when he says, I go to my Father's house to prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, guess what? I'm going to come and get you so that where I am, there you may be also. And at that point in time in earth's history, that's when the seven-year tribulation is going to begin. And God's judgment is going to be poured out on planet earth. If you've never read through the book of Revelation, I encourage you to do so. You can get dad's book where he explains it and he talks about all the things that are going to happen in the book of Revelation. It is not pretty. It is not for the faint of heart. And make no mistake about it, the very same people that question God's ability to judge and the manner in which he judges are going to be the same type of people who are going to be cursing God's name during the tribulation when he's pouring out his judgment. There is no repentance, but they curse God because God, who is God <laughs> to judge us? Who does God think he is? God? You know what I mean? He's God. You know, it's, it's almost become like a catchphrase. Only God can judge me. When you tell someone you're not living right or this isn't a right thing that you're doing, shut up, only God can judge me. That's why I'm telling you, before God judges you, that's why I'm telling you, 
That's why I'm warning you. That's why I'm pleading with you. Please come to the Lord. Please give your heart to God. Please give all of who you are to him before the day comes. Because as the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, so as it was in the days of Noah. And remember how it was in the days of Noah. The Bible says that he was a preacher of righteousness. And there was a hundred year approximate period when he was building the boat. And everyone was laughing at him and mocking him and ridiculing him until the day that he went into the ark with his family and all of the animals that God had gathered to him. And the Bible says that God shut the door. And on that same day, the flood came. On that same day, the flood came. Jesus Christ is our ark. And he seeks to shut up inside of himself all those who would call upon his name. But make no mistake about it, the judgment of God is coming. Something happens, you have this pandemic, you have a shooting, you have this and that. Is this God's judgment? This God's judgment? Not even close. Not by a long shot. Now, God will allow things, and we read this and understand this through the nation of, uh, of Israel and their history, that God will allow the, result, the natural result of sin. He who sows to the flesh will the flesh reap corruption, death. We are living in a world that is given over and bound up by sin. We've rejected God Almighty. We've rejected his word. We've rejected his law. No, I know what's best for my life, and no one can tell me otherwise, and it doesn't matter what the Bible says. And so we have all of these scholars and these historians and these theologians even who tell people that you don't have to completely go by what the word of God says. Uh, it's just a book written by men. It's a bunch of fables. It's a bunch of scary things to scare you so that you'll do what people want you to do. And people don't believe. But what the word of God says is absolutely 100% true. And the judgment of God is coming. The judgment of God is coming. And when the judgment of God comes, it's not going to be a pandemic. It's not going to be a nightclub shooting. Those things God allows doesn't cause, doesn't make happen. Don't misunderstand. But God will use these things in our nation or in our own lives. He'll use things to wake us up. To wake us up. This is the wages of sin. The wickedness, the darkness that we see happening in our world around us right now. The riots, cities are burning. Well, it's because of injustice. Well, it's because of this. Well, it's because of that. Okay, yep, uh-huh, absolutely. But at the root of all of it, it's the wages of sin. It's the wages of a nation that has rebelled against God Almighty and put him out of our court system, and put him out of our schools, and put him out of our daily lives. And we show up on church on Sunday, and we have these great concerts and this unbelievable music. The worship music that's out there today is like no other time in church history. It's so beautiful and amazing. And then everyone goes from that place, and they go back to doing whatever the heck they want to do. And it's like the Bible talks about the man that looks at himself in the mirror and then goes away re re forgetting what he looked like. And like a dog that, you ever see a dog throw up, right? And then the dog walks away. And then what does the stupid dog do? It comes back. And it, and it eats it. It's disgusting. I know you love dogs. I like dogs too. It's disgusting. And the Bible says that those of us who go back, who go back to the same old junk and the same old stuff time and time again. We're just like a dog returning to its vomit. 
And God is long-suffering, and God is gracious, and God is merciful. But there is going to come a day, my friends, there is going to come a time when the sin of the Americanites, <laughs> of the Europeanites, of the Eastonites, of everybody in this world is going to reach its fulfillment. And on that day, God is going to take his church out of this world, and he's going to bring judgment. And the Antichrist is going to convince everybody on planet Earth, and I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know if it's going to be through the extraterrestrial thing. Who knows how he's going to do it? But he's going to convince the people of Earth to worship and serve him, and the Bible says the dragon who gives him his power, that is Satan, to worship him and convince them that God is a malevolent being that needs to be defeated. That's what happens when we rebel against God. That's what happens when we turn from God's word. We, Romans chapter 1. You reject the truth, you reject the soundness of God's word, you're mincemeat, man. You get out of the spirit and you get into the flesh, Satan can have his way with you. He's a roaring lion, roaming about. I love the nature videos. Some of them are brutal. When, it gets a, when the lion gets the baby, you know what I mean? Get the full-grown zebra, you know what I mean? Get the full-grown, you know, uh, wildebeest, right? But when they get the babies. But that's what a lion does. It's trying to get the easiest food it can get. That's why the Bible compares Satan's tactics to that of a lion, those who are strong in the faith, those of us who understand the importance of gathering ourselves together for the fellowship of the saints. It's just exactly like those dumb wildebeests, it's not very flattering, but nevertheless, it's just like the dumb wildebeest when the lion comes in, what do the wildebeests do? You've seen it on National Geographic. They get the weak in the center and they make a circle, horns out. And the lion, ooh, 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 and looking, ooh, looking for an end, looking for, but he can't get through that defense. That's us when we stand together in Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the power and the strength that we have. Not in of ourselves, not in our own flesh, not in our own abilities, but in the God whom we serve. So now, the sins of the Amorites has reached its fulfillment. And the children of Israel are coming into the promised land and it's judgment time. Okay? But it's no small task. Is that what we're going to read about this morning? Then the children of Israel, <clears throat> the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. Uh, and the people stayed in Kadesh. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I'm in the total wrong chapter, guys. Wowzers. Um, da, 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 da. Okay, chapter 21. I, was total, I don't know why I was thinking 20. And we're picking up in verse 10. Dad finished 21, 1 through 10 last week. Numbers chapter 21, verse 10. Sorry. Now the children of Israel moved on and camped in Oboth. And they journeyed from Oboth and camped at, and we're going to read through all this, and you're going to be like, who and what and why, and I don't even know what you're talking about, and you lost me at Oboth, okay? But we're going to read through this, and we're going to explain it. And they journeyed from Oboth and camped at Aish-Abarim, in the wilderness which is east of Moab, toward the sunrise. And from there they moved and camped in the valley of Zered. And from there they moved and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab, between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, which if you go to your public library or go to your local Bible store, you're not going to be able to find the book of the wars of the Lord. I wish we had access to it, but nobody knows where this, where this is, where it was, 
where it, there's, there's no, it's not in existence anymore. But there was a book, the book of the wars of the Lord, and for heaven's sakes, I wish I could get my hands on that book somehow. That would be an interesting read. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of the Lord, Wahab and Sufa, the brooks of the Arnon, and the slope of the brooks that reaches to the dwelling of Ar and lies on the border of Moab. What we have here is we have the book of Numbers. Moses is writing the book of Numbers, and he is giving the history. This is an oral history of the travelings of the children of Israel from Egypt to Canaan. Okay, And he's writing all of these things down, and he's not just saying, this is what happened, this is what happened, this is what happened. He is giving other proofs, other texts that, uh, that go along with what he's saying. That's why it's written in the, the, the book of the Wars of the Lord. And this is why, and in Deuteronomy and also in Joshua, and we're going to read some of these verses this morning, they reiterate, <clears throat> they go over again exactly what happened in some cases filling in more detail this this is this is not just this is just a story this is the history this is the history book of the israelite people this is the history book okay from there they went to beer it was a popular place which is in the well which is the well where the lord said to moses gather the people together and i will give them water notice it was water it was not a well that sprung up beer <laughs> okay um, it was called beer, but it was a well that sprung up water, and Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, all of you who sing to it, the well the leaders sank, dug by the nation's nobles, by the lawgiver with their staves, which is an interesting comment, because you don't dig a well with staves. A stave is your staff. You don't dig a well with your staff. What it's saying here is that when God provided a well, when God was providing a sustenance for the nation, when God was providing them with water, they didn't have to dig. It was right there at the surface. When God was ready to give that to them, it was right there. Uh, and from the wilderness, they went to Matanah, and from Matanah to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamoth. And from Bamoth in the valley that is in the country of Moab to the top of Pisgah, which looks down on the wasteland. Okay? Now, this is what we need to know. This is the nation of Israel marching and moving with God leading them. Remember, remember, the tabernacle and the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud, this is what's leading them. And when the pillar goes up, they gather, they, they, they pack up the tabernacle and they move on. So literally, this is God and this is the journey, this is the way, this is the directions, this is the Google Maps, right? This is the GPS. Their GPS was God, okay? It was the God positioning satellite, Okay, and he showed them exactly where to go. He literally led them, and he's leading them on the way through the promised land. And it's going to be interesting to note the way in which he takes them. And I'll give you a hint, it ain't a round trouble. It's right through the middle of it. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside uh, into fields or vineyards. We will not drink water from wells. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. Remember, they said the same thing to the Edomites, right? To the, to the descendants of Esau. Uh, and God did not permit them to have a conflict with the, with, with, uh, the descendants of Esau uh, because, remember, God had given them some sort of a blessing because they were of the seed of Abraham as well. And so they had the same thing. Remember, the Edomites said the same thing to them. You may not pass through here. Well, this is a different story. It, it's worse. 
But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. So Sihon gathered all his people together and went out against Israel in the wilderness. And he came to Jahaz and fought against Israel. And we're going to read this very matter-of-factly, but then we're going to go back through and fill in the details. So, uh, so it, then Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from Arnon to Jabbok as far as the people of Ammon, for the border of the people of Ammon was fortified. So Israel took all these cities, and Israel dwelt in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab and had taken all his land from his hand as far as Arnon. Therefore, those who speak in Proverbs say... Now, we're going to read this little proverb. This, little, this is literally a song. And I want you to notice and I want you to see how it's framed. Because this song is most probably a song that was written by Sihon, by Sihon's people, when they took the land from the Moabites. So it was a victory song written by Sihon's people when they took this land from the Moabites. And now the Israelites take that song and they amend it and they make their own. I want you to watch how it goes. This would be from uh, the Amorites. Come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be repaired. Okay, that's the king, Sihon. For fire went out from Heshbon and flame from the city of Sihon, and it consumed Ar of Moab, the lords of the heights of the Arnon. <clears throat> Woe to you, Moab. You have perished, O people of Chemosh. And remember, back in those days, it was my God versus your God. It wasn't just my tribe going out to battle against your tribe. It was my gods versus your gods. And whichever one prevailed, clearly that God was stronger. That's why I remember when the, when the Babylonians, the Assyrians, they sent emissaries to Jerusalem hundreds of years in the future, and they say, we've been through all these other lands, and we've smoked them and smashed them. None of their gods were able to save them. Our God is more powerful than these other gods. So don't begin to say to yourselves, you children of Israel, that our God, Jehovah, will, give us, will help us prevail, because none of these other gods were, were able to prevail, and neither will your God, Jehovah. Well, that was a stupid thing to say. That was a stupid thing to say, because at that point in time, the nation of Israel steeped in sin, wickedness, and idolatry, who God was going to allow to go into Babylonian captivity, to go into judgment, cried out to God and said, see what they're saying against you, God. And the Bible says that that night, the angel of the Lord, that is one angel, and it's listed the angel of the Lord, which is most likely Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnate appearance, goes through the, through the battle arrays of the Assyrians, and in one night slays 100,000 soldiers. And then they went home. And then they went home, okay? So <clears throat> it was always my God versus your God, okay? The Israelites worshiped the God, the only one true God, the same God that you and I worship. So, but here's what they're saying. The Amorites are saying to the Moabites, woe to you, Moab, you have perished, O people of Chemosh. Chemosh was the God of the Moabites, okay? He has given his sons as fugitives and his daughters into captivity to Sihon, king of the Amorites. Now, here's where the Israelites amend the song. But we have shot at them. Heshbon has perished as far as Debon. 
Then we laid waste as far as Nophah, which reaches to Madiba. So this is the amendment to that song. So it's almost like, hey, you whooped the Moabites, and we'll sing your song of you whooping the Moabites. But guess what? Then we whooped you, right? Our God is the strongest God. Thus Israel dwelt in the land of the Amorites. Then Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they took its villages and drove out the Amorites who were there. And they turned and went up by the way of Bashan. So Og, king of Bashan, went out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edre. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is important, do not fear him. There's a reason why God would have to say to Moses, do not fear Og, the king of Bashan, for I have delivered him into your hand. Who has delivered him? God delivered him into the, your hand. I have delivered him into your hand with all his people and his land, and you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon. So they defeated him, his sons, and all his people until there was no survivor left him, and they took possession of his land. God begins the conquest of Canaan with the prophecy that he gave to Abraham. The sins of the Amorites, when it reaches its fulfillment, it's going to be go time. Now, I want to read uh, first uh, out of Deuteronomy chapter 2. Now, Deuteronomy literally means second law. So in Leviticus we receive the laws of God. Deuteronomy literally means second law. It's a reiteration of the laws of God. It's also a reiteration of all the things that God has done and accomplished. And in Deuteronomy chapter 2, verses 8 through 12, this is, we're going to be reading about these exact same things that we just read, but with some more detail filled in. Okay, does that make sense? And when we passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, remember Edom? Remember they said, let us pass through on the king's road. We won't drink out of the wells. And Edom said, nope, can't come through here. And so they had to go all the way around. They passed beyond our brethren, the descendants of Esau, who dwell in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion-Geber, and we turned and passed by the way of the wilderness of Moab. That's where we are here in Numbers chapter 21. Then the Lord said to me, do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle. For I will not give you any of their land as a possession. Here's why. Because I have given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So remember, when Lot was brought, this is going back to Genesis again, when God brought Lot and his two daughters out of the land of Sodom and Gomorrah, and remember, there's that super creepy portion. You know, God doesn't pull punches. He tells it like it is. And there's a super creepy portion where all of Sodom and Gomorrah has been wiped out, and it's just Lot and his two daughters that are brought out, and, they, and they move up into this hill country, and the two daughters say, now there's going to be no one to give us children. So they get their father drunk. Right. That's Esau's, uh, yeah, Lot's descendants. It's amazing later on, it's encouraging later on when we get to the book of Hebrews in the New Testament where the Bible calls Lot righteous, calls Lot I think it's the book of Hebrews, where it calls, the Bible calls Lot righteous. And you read the story of Lot and you go, righteous? Lot? Righteous? Hey, stop it right there. That's good news for me. Hey, that's good news for me. That means, even though I'm a jerk, <laughs> right? And even though I lapsed in faith, and even though I act like a jerk sometimes, because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished and because of the promises of God that have been given to me and accepted wholeheartedly by me, guess what? I'm righteous. 
and so are you. Okay, it's good news. But this land, the land of the Moabites, was given to Lot and his descendants, kind of like the Edomites, even though they were not children of the promise. Separate from Abraham, God still blessed them because they were all of the same lineage of Abraham, okay? So he says, don't harass the Moabites, leave them alone. These people were not good people either. They were idolatrous, wicked people as well. God shows grace and mercy. Um, do not harass Moab nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I have given Ar to the descendants of Lot as a possession. Now notice, the Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. Now remember, when the 12 spies went to spy out the land, remember what they said, the sons of Anak are there. And we were as grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we went back to Genesis chapter 6. When the Bible talks about the Nephilim that lived, it says that were in the world, on the earth in those days, and also after when, what happened? How did the Nephilim come to be? When the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and married as many as they chose, and had children by them. These are the men of renown, the giants of old men of renown. Now, you didn't, literally, you're talking about fallen angels materializing, taking a physical form, coming into our dimension, and actually marrying human women and having children by them, okay? So when people say, well, how bad is it going to get before the rapture comes? The Bible says it was in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, it was so wicked and it was so satanic all over the place, that demons were materializing, taking human form, and having children with women. Okay? That, how bad can it get? It can get bad. It can get real bad. I don't say that to dishearten you. We're talking about in a wickedness sense. We're talking about in the evil on planet Earth. Listen, I think Christians, you know, we complain and, and we, we, we go and we hear this conspiracy, everything. what's the government really doing? Oh, Bill Gates wants to pump you full of the mark of the beast Ooh, through a vaccine and blah, 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 and all this stuff, and we've got our eyes open because we're always looking. I think if we knew the half of it, I think if we knew the half of what was really going on in governments all over this world in secret inner rooms, your hair would stand on edge and you wouldn't know what to do with yourself. Our hope, our strength, our courage, our foundation is in God. And it's no mistake, it's no mistake, children of Jesus Christ, children of God the Father and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, watch what God allows his children to battle through. Watch what God allows his children, the children of Israel, to see. The Emim had dwelt there in the past, the people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. Remember they said, we were as grasshoppers in our own sight. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. The Horites formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them, destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. Now, uh, skip down to Deuteronomy chapter 2, starting with verse 19. And when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them. Now, this is Ammon. This is the Ammonites, not the Amorites. Okay, it's a different people altogether. For I will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as possession, because I've given it to the descendants of Lot as a possession. 
That was also regarded as a land of giants. Giants formerly dwelt there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumin, a people as great and numerous, numerous and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them and dispossessed them and dwelt in their place just as he had done for Esau. Um, da, 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 da. Okay, I think I just read the same version. Um, so now, we're coming down into the portion of the land called the Jarmok Valley, okay? Now, if you, any of you have a James Fawcett and Brown Bible commentary, they talk about this. Their commentary on Deuteronomy chapter 3, they talk about excavations that were made archaeological excavations that were made in the Valley of Jabbok, in this very area that we're talking about, the children of Israel passing through and fighting against these people. And they, in the, uh, the excavations, they talk about the fact that they uncovered cities with buildings that had 16 to 18 foot ceilings, with 12 to 13 foot high doors, a foot thick, and they still were sitting on the pins that they were hinged on. That's how massive some of these doors, some of these rooms, some of these buildings were. And there were huge slabs that they don't know how they, used, how they were lifted that were shingles in the, in the ceiling, in the roof. Not like drop ceiling shingles, not like shingles on, on the house, but like massive stone slab shingles that were used to build the roof that they don't know how they got into place. Massive, huge, huge things. Rabbinic literature and the Midrash, and because we're, we're talking about Sihon, right, the king of the Amorites, and Og, the king of Bashan. Rabbinic literature and the Midrash say that both Sihon and Og were the grandsons of a being called Shamazai, who was a fallen angel, and that they were actually brothers, Sihon and Og. Now, you put all of these little pieces together, okay, both archaeological and what the Word, I only need what the Word of God says. I mean, I don't give a about you, right? I don't give a rip. I don't give a rip. Did you see that science has now proven what the Bible says? Oh, good God. I don't care. I don't, it doesn't matter. I had faith in the Word of God before science said it was false or true. You understand? I don't care what archaeologists uncover or what they say was impossible. I love these shows, the real life of Jesus. Oh, wow. Now we're really going to find out what happened. That makes me want to blow something up. You know what I mean? Not literally if you're listening, big brother in the sky. <laughs> I would never, except on the 4th of July. But it's like, I don't care what you think about what Jesus' life looked like. I have four books, right? Matthew, Mark, well, John, Luke was written after the fact. But I have three books, and then John, or Luke, when he wrote his account of the, of the gospel, when he wrote his account of Jesus Christ's life, he went to all of the apostles and all the people that lived and walked with Jesus to get his account and put it together for his master that he worked for. That, and that's why it's written to most excellent Theophilus. These are eyewitnesses who went to their graves, who were killed, who were murdered, some of them horribly, because they wouldn't deny that everything that they said about the Christ was true. But the History Channel knows better. But National Geographic knows better. Oh, let me tell you where whales really came from. It, I don't care. You understand what I'm saying? We live in a culture where Christians run around and it's just almost like, well, you know, it's subtle science. You Christians are ignorant. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't give a rip what your scientists say. I don't give a rip what your archaeologists say. I know that the Word of God is true. 
Let God be true and every man a liar. You could call me crazy. You don't have to believe it. I know on whose side I belong. And I will stand with God and I will stand with his holy word to my death because I don't have hope for this life. So I don't care about the coronavirus and I don't care about all the unrest and I don't care about all the stuff other than the fact that people are being hurt, other than the fact that people's souls are being lost. That's what I care about. But the politics of it all and all that other stuff, now let me make something perfectly clear. Just like you, I fly off into Never Never Land sometimes okay, and get all fired up, you know what I mean, over politics and stuff like that, okay, I do, I go there, I go there, I see stuff, and I'm like, oh, let me get them, you know, okay, oh, oh, I just lost it all, I haven't, and then I remember, and then I remember, I may be an American citizen, but that's, cool, great, uh, uh, that's a mist, I'm a mist, my life is a mist that appears for a moment and vanishes, I have an eternal inheritance and an eternal citizenship in the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? Yes, yes, yes. And so that's where my hope lies. I don't care. You might get the corona. Good, hopefully I'll die. All right, so I can finally see Jesus. I've had it. Okay? All right? I'm not scared. You're too old and fat and stupid to be riding a dirt bike. I hope I jump off of a cliff. You know what I mean? I don't care. You'll know two things. He died happy, and he's with Jesus. You understand? Where's our hope? Where's our hope? In the next election? <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. God took the children of Israel. He took him. He said, I'm going to bring you in the promised land. Let me tell you where I'm taking you. Remember the giants of Anak that the 10 spies said, we can't defeat them. They're going to eat us up. I'm taking you through the giants. I'm bringing you right through the giants. I'm going to have you stand in front of them and say, bring it on, just like David. That's what made him a man after God's own heart, because when the entire army of Israel was quaking and trembling before Goliath of Gath, David went out there with a sling and a stone and said, you come at me with a sword and a spear? You think you're so big with your 12-foot... <laughs> horrifying, scary. But I come against you in the name of the Lord whose armies you have defied. David goes to the giant and goes, how dare you? You, you know what I mean? That's what made him a child of God. That's what made him so righteous. That's why God loved David so much. Because of David's performance, David was a jerk. I know he wrote your favorite psalm. But David did horrible things. And yet God says he's a man after my own heart. How could he say that? Because at the end of the day, David says, I know I'm wicked and I know I'm unrighteous and I know I'm unworthy, but I belong to God. I'm his and he's mine and I'm not afraid of anything because he's on my side. I hope that's where you stand this morning, knowing that there is nothing, there is no, how many weapons form against you shall prosper? How many? Oh, none. How many is none? Well, that's zero. What's less than zero? None, nothing. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Now, don't get it twisted, Christians, okay? Then you walk out of here and walk into City Hall. I own this place now, okay? You're going to jail, all right? Okay, you're going to jail. If you get, you get the corona bad enough or you get some, you're going to die. This life, we're pilgrims. 
We're sojourners. We're just passing through, man. We're just passing by. It is all, all, all about the next life. That's why Jesus Christ said, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal and loot and burn cities down. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Nobody can touch it. Nobody can touch it. I'm here to tell you, not even you. You know what I mean? You know how when you got a kid and he's stupid? And a rich uncle leaves him money, and he says, but he can't collect till he's like 30 because this kid's an idiot, right? That's us. That's us, right? You know, we can't have the inheritance now. You know why? Because we'd be like, oh, shiny things. You know, we got the inheritance is for eternal life. That's our hope. That's what gets me up in the morning. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm getting up in the morning like, oh, is it worth it? You know what I mean? And oh, but God, his promises are true. And everything that he says, he's going to bring to pass. And so, uh, I just want to finish up here just, just, just quickly because we got down to this, the, the portion of Og. Uh, Deuteronomy 3, 1 to 5 says this. Then we turned and went up to the road, up the road to Bashan. God wants to reiterate this. Tell me again how it happened. Tell me again how God brought you right straight into the giants, into the land of the giants, not the New York giants. The giants, the Zamzumin, the Ethim, the, uh, the, 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 the Anakim, the Nephilim. Tell me again how God brought you right into them and had you whoop them before he brought you into the promised land. So we turned and went up the road to Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, came out against us, he and all his people, to battle at Edrei. And the Lord said to me, this is Joshua, or Moses, do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand. And you shall do to him, notice, as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, very probably his brother. Remember that. Remember what God has done in times past. When you read the Bible, when you read the Old Testament, when you read the New Testament, Christian, you see God did it then, he can do it again. God did it through Peter, he can do it through me. That's why we study the past. We know what manner of God that we serve. And he's able and he's capable. So the Lord our God also delivered into our hands Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, and we attacked him until he had no survivors remaining. And we took all his cities at that time. There was not a city which we did not take from them, 60 cities, all the region of Argob and the kingdom of Og of Bashan. All these cities were fortified, notice, just like the, we talked about the commentary, James Fawcett and Brown and the, and the things that they uncovered through archaeology. All these cities were fortified with high walls, gates, and bars, besides a very great many rural towns. Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 11. For only Og, king of Bashan, remained of the remnant of the giants. Indeed, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. His bed, that means his bed was made out of iron because he was so heavy. Uh, is it not in Rabbah of the people of Ammon? Apparently, they kept it in the museum. Nine cubits is its length and four cubits its width. That's 13 foot by six foot. Who needs a 13 foot bed? A 12 foot dude. Right? Uh, you need a, a, you got your, 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 your eight foot bed for your six foot frame or your seven foot, however, however long your king bed is, right? Your feet don't hang over the edge. It's nice. I love it. I love my bed. Og, his bed was made of iron and it was 13 feet long. It was 13 feet long. So Og was probably at least 12 feet 
long, 12 feet tall. The giants that the spies had reported, notice, hadn't gone anywhere. God didn't just make them evaporate. God didn't just make them disappear. He told the second generation, the second generation, the first generation didn't believe, and he said, you're not entering into the promised land. Your kids are going to enter in because they'll believe. I'm going to show them. But the giants, they're not going anywhere. The giants aren't going anywhere. It all comes down to this. How do we respond to the giants? God's not just going to take the trouble out of our lives. God's not going to take away the difficulty. God's not going to take away the challenges. God's not going to take away your strongholds, your high walls, your fortified cities that keep you from doing what he's called you to do. God says, I want you to go forth, and I want you to be strong, and I want you to be courageous, and I want you to know that I'm with you, and in my name, you will have victory over these giants. You will have victory over these fortified places in your own life. But get up and fight and believe. Get up and fight and believe. And that's how God brought the children of Israel into the promised land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you and we praise you, and we glorify you, Father, for your word, for the encouragement, Lord, that we find here, Lord. If you could bring your children through a land of giants, Lord, and give them victory, uh, Father, we know that you'll give us victory as well for the giants in our life, Father, the things that we're afraid of, the things that hold us back, Lord, uh, in your mighty name. Only we just need to be strong and to be courageous, just as Joshua was told. Uh, Lord, and we ask and pray that you would help us to be those type of people, to have, be people of faith and to be people of love, Lord, that when we look around at all of the craziness around us, Lord, that we would not respond in fear, that we would not respond in anger, but we would respond with courageous hearts of love, Lord. Give us those type of hearts, Father. Help us to be compassionate. Help us to be loving. But help us, Father, to never give an inch on the word of God on what you've given us to stand upon, Lord. And we believe that we stand upon the rock that is Jesus Christ. And because our foundations are laid upon the rock, they will not be moved, Lord. So we thank you, and we praise you, and we only ask that you would have your way in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty and holy and precious name we pray, amen. Amen. Amen.